You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone. I'm Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership and Marketing, and this is the RHISAC Podcast. My co-host today is someone new to the podcast and new to the RHISAC, Paul Malcolm, our recently hired Intel Analyst Cyber Threat Intel Engagement Lead. Thanks, Luke. Happy to have joined the RHISAC team and happy to be here hosting the podcast with you. Most of my prior lives involved incident response and or crisis management, all the various forms that it comes in, spanning the gambit of federal, state, and local government, as well as private sector. And I just want to reiterate, it's a pleasure to join the team. Well, I know I can speak for all of us when I say I'm glad to have you aboard, and we will do our best to try to keep you busy. So I've done a few of these podcast interviews so far this year, and the one thing we've heard from multiple guests is the importance of multi-factor authentication. We know enabling MFA is one of the ways we can thwart criminals using stolen credentials, but despite how effective it can be and how fundamental it is, not everyone has adopted it yet, particularly those who are not thinking about security on a day-to-day basis. That is exactly the problem that our first guest today is trying to solve with their platform. It's designed to relieve the end user of the burden having to remember to enact security policies just like MFA. Bell Lipe, co-founder and CEO of Serbi, is here with us to talk about how security teams can regain control of all of the shadow IT or unmanaged applications. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that interview. Hopefully we can all pick up a few tips. After I chat with Bell, we're going to continue our conversation on authentication with Derek Hansen, Vice President of Product Evangelism at Ubico. Tarek's going to share with us how methods of phishing-resistant or passwordless authentication are becoming the new standard. All right, I'm here with Bell Lepe, co-founder and CEO of Serbi. You may remember Serbi from our Emerging Technology Showcase just a couple weeks ago. We brought Bell back here today to tell us more about shadow IT, or what they refer to at Serbi as unmanageable applications. Thanks very much for joining us, Bell. So, Let's start off by just maybe you telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Serbi. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity and thank you for having me here. So we are Serbi, as, as you mentioned, we're a cybersecurity company that focuses on the identity and security automation lifecycle of unmanageable applications. We were founded just before the start of the pandemic in, in 2020. And today we're working with firms like L'Oreal and Dentsu to help them identify those applications that exist just outside their purview and then provide them with a way to be able to secure those applications once they've been identified. Excellent. Well, I think one of the main reasons that our producer, Natalie, assigned me to be the interviewer in this episode uh, is because on your presentation to the Emerging Tech Marketplace, uh, you kind of vilified the marketing department as the as the department that often is the one that uh, uses all this shadow IT or unmanageable applications, as you called it. So can you define that for us? Tell us more what you mean by unmanageable applications or tolerated applications and what exactly that means and, and how it's dangerous. Absolutely. You know, the shadow IT is a way that this is sometimes referred to. And, and I have found, at least, that there's a negative connotation associated with shadow IT. And that's one of the reasons why we refer to it as an unmanageable application. So shadow IT, actually, just the quick walk down, you know, the history lane, if, if you will, it is a term that was coined by the folks in the cloud access security broker space. And at the time that they started referring to shadow IT, 
it was less than a quarter of all technology that was being used across the workspace, less than 10%, really. If you flash forward to today, it is the case that in the most conservative of estimates, one out of every two applications that is being leveraged could be considered shadow IT. But honestly, when at least 50% of all applications are shadow IT, it's not shadow IT anymore, it's just IT. And that's part of the shift that we're trying to achieve with referring to these applications as unmanageable applications. The reality is users want to have autonomy over their applications. This is actually something that's become very obvious over the last two years during the pandemic in which, you know, end users, business users have enjoyed unfettered access to the applications that they want. And so we're trying to shift the focus from who introduced the technology to, hey, great, we want everyone to be able to use the technologies that they want, but let's ensure that these applications are being protected. We want to ensure that these applications are following corporate security policies. And so that's that's one of the reasons why we refer to these applications as unmanageable applications, because Today, they're not necessarily being managed as strictly as they could from a security perspective. And again, that's that's okay because the individuals who are introducing them, their focus is on productivity, right? Individuals in marketing, individuals in product, individuals in sales, finance. So I'm trying to spread the finger pointing around beyond just marketing. So this is something that we should accept as a standard way of operating for businesses, that users want to have that agency over their applications. And so the focus needs to shift not from, hey, should they be doing this to, no, this is going to happen. Let's enable them to be able to have the necessary level of security and protections around around these applications. Right. And actually, that was something that very much interested me because I assumed when I saw the description for the uh, your presentation that it was going to be about these kind of frivolous or personal, like a streaming music application or something like that. But it's really there's a business case for most of these applications that you're talking about. Exactly. Uh, to give you, a, for instance, we work with a lot of customers in the retail and hospitality space, and it's not uncommon for them to have social uh, or paid social credit lines in the millions. Right. So we're talking right. about. They're spending millions of dollars through Facebook, through TikTok, uh, through Pinterest, through Snapchat. And guess what? The login to each of these paid social media platforms is username and password based, right? These applications are not necessarily connected to the central control point of a Okta if you're using them as your corporate SSO provider or an Azure AD. And so you're exactly right. These are not frivolous applications. These are applications that you use to engage your audience Maybe it's Amazon seller and Amazon DSP accounts. So platforms that you use to actually sell your product. I mean, these these are mission critical applications that we're, we're talking about. So how new of a problem is this? As there's more business kind of applications that people are using, as there's more stuff in the cloud, as more people are working from home. Is this something that's a new problem or a growing problem or something that's kind of been around for a while and we're just now getting around to addressing it? I think there are a couple of dimensions to that. This idea of unmanageable applications has been around for a while, but something that has really changed over the last two years uh, during the time frame where we were all working from home. And it, it looks like for some period of time, we're going to continue to work from home at least more than 50 percent of the time. So and even then, the stable state is probably going to be you know two to three days a week. You're working from home. But what has happened over the course of the pandemic is users have realized that they want to be able to choose the applications they leverage for their day-to-day tasks. We actually recently conducted a study with Osterman Research, 
in which we spoke to business users and asked them, you know, hey, do you want to be able to have freedom over the applications that you leverage? And 92% of them said that they want full control over the applications that they deploy for work-related processes. 51% of them said that they continue to use their applications even when IT tells them not to. And 52% of them said that they would prefer that IT just get the hell out of the way when it comes to application choice. And so what has changed is it has been solidified over the course of the last two years that this is how business users want to operate. They want that choice. And now that it has become obvious that this is, you know, the standard operating procedure, the conversation needs to shift to how do you protect this new dynamic between business users and the applications that they want to leverage? So I always like to say with great freedom comes great responsibility. So tell me, the villain, the marketing guy, or the not security guy, what, what should we do to do better? What, what would the security teams tell us that we should be doing to, to improve our security posture if we're going to be given this freedom? So usually why these unmanageable applications present the risk that they do is that, and I'm going to include myself in that because I, I'm responsible for introducing MailChimp countless times and, right. and, you know, various, various other applications that, you know, you can't necessarily connect to your, your central identity provider platform. Um, what happens when we as users introduce applications is we're focused on the job at hand, which means that we're not always necessarily setting strong passwords. We're not always necessarily enrolling 2FA. 2FA is particularly important because 97% of account takeovers and breaches could be avoided if some form of 2FA were just enabled. To continue with the list, we sometimes may get a request like, hey, can you please add so-and-so to HubSpot? And we go in and we give them admin privileges when they don't need to be admins. You know, they could have some lesser level of access. And probably worst of all, we're not very good at ensuring that only the people who should have access to the application retain access. You know, we, we work with a customer who they were going to their Facebook page and six months after they had stopped working with an agency partner, they saw that that agency partner was running a live stream of a monster truck rally on their page. And that's what happens when that access is orphaned. And so those are, in terms of observing strong security hygiene for passwords, for 2FA enablement, ensuring that least privileged access is observed, these are all things that we as users should be doing. But let's be honest, we're not taking the time to do it because our focus is elsewhere. And so that's what the survey platform does. Instead of saddling the end user with that responsibility, we actually automate away all of those security hygiene tasks that fall to the end user. So the end user can focus on their job, and then survey, on the other hand, takes care of all of that uh, security work that was being left to them but frequently was not getting done. Yeah, it is amazing the number of automations and integrations that you demonstrated just from in that brief time you had on the on the marketplace. And and by the way, I still run the Google business account for the job I had four jobs ago. Every once in a while, I'll get an email to one of my old Gmails that, that gives me an update on how many visitors. I mean, th- this is this is a huge problem. You know, you gave some great examples of, of I think it was a Twitter or some social media account that then was hacked because of bad security awareness on behalf of the individual, and that could have been taken care of in automatic way. If survey was enabled for that account, right? That's exactly right. It, it's funny you mentioned that our, our head of sales who started working with us about two months ago, his second or third week on the job, he got a call from someone who was in marketing at a company that he hadn't worked at for five years saying that they were migrating their Google Analytics account. And his phone number was set as the two-factor off on the account. And they wanted 
they were wondering if he could share the code with them uh, to free up the account. And so this stuff happens, right? And right. no one's to blame. It's just there's this friction today that doesn't make it easy for users to manage this. And so we thought, hey, what if we automated this? Let's take the user out of the, the critical path and ensure that this always gets done. No dependency on the end user. Right. I always tell people when they ask me, what's the greatest risk in cybersecurity? It's the human beings that are on the network, right? So yeah. to, to remove yeah. that and automate it in some way. I guess the final question I have for you is, if the human beings that are not in security have any resistance to implementing these kinds of protections, like what's your advice on how to how to get them to implement, it, whether it's you guys or, or some other solution that protects the network? The data shows that enforcement approaches don't work, right? When you're trying to force the user to go down a particular path, uh, you will see significant organ rejection from the end users, and it'll actually push them further into the dark corners of the organization, and they'll do what they want to do anyway, just outside of your purview. And so our kind of approach to this is it's all about enrollment. Uh, you want to focus on actually engaging the end user and telling them, hey, what you're doing already is, is actually how we want to be operating. We want to give you this agency. You're going to be able to retain productivity and underneath the hood, we're going to observe these enrollment philosophies, which means that if you take an application to us, we promise to work with you to figure out how to protect that application, not whether we'll accept that application. So, so long we have found, so long as you can frame the conversation as one of enrollment versus enforcement, uh, you're able to bring over even the hardest to convince uh, individuals, independent of whatever business unit they might they might be in. That's great. Well, uh, thank you very much, Bell, for participating uh, in our podcast, letting us know a little bit about your company. Thank you for participating in the Emerging Tech Showcase a couple weeks ago. Thank you, Bell. Now let's take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor, Fortinet. Stick around because after that, Derek and I will talk about phishing-resistant authentication. Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at fortinet.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Derek Hansen, VP Product Evangelism at Ubico. Derek, it's great to have you here with us today. Do you want to start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about Ubico? Yeah, I'd be glad to. It's a pleasure to be here, Paul. Uh, my name is Derek Hansen. I'm a VP at Ubico, and I'm working very hard to communicate out what our mission is. Before I joined Ubico, I was involved in many different large organizations throughout the U.S., specifically at a very large retailer as an identity architect. Uh, in my job at Ubico, we really aligned with the mission of trying to make authentication accessible for all people. We do that by bringing our main product to market, the YubiKey, that YubiKey is enable many organizations, uh, 4,500 customers or so, to actually interact with their computers in a secure fashion by using it for multi-factor authentication, 
passwordless authentication, or even certificate-based authentication. The YubiKey has been sold in about 160 countries across the globe and is a widely recognized device for authentication use cases, both for employees as well as consumer-facing services. You know, I, I know that everybody out there in the world, for the most part, well, I say that, I guess it's 2022. For the most part, everybody's aware of two-factor or multi-factor authentication at this point, and a lot of folks are definitely enabling it in an effort to reduce account takeovers and such things. But why is two-factor or multi-factor still not something that's universally out there or adopted in the world today? I think you're asking a key question here, Paul. The there's a couple of major parts as you look at this. First off, when you look at two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication, passwordless, there's a million different words and phrases that we all hear about. And really, all of the things have been around either making the password more secure or actually making the technology a replacement for the password. And what we're struggling with, by and large, is the fact that all of us have organizations that we work for where we're trying to actually uh, accomplish the business goals. And really, sometimes those business goals and security goals are not aligned. When I worked at a large retailer, I know that we had role accounts that were associated with the position that you held in the company. Maybe you worked in the, the bakery, and you know, so you used the Baker 2 account. Well, it's really hard to do MFA when you're using generic role accounts. But that is a key way our businesses have evolved with computers becoming a key and integral part of that. The challenge is we need phishing resistance authentication. Phishing challenges that have come up in the last several years have really grown to impact all of our businesses. Phishing is uh, an attempt by an external party to get you to hand over your credentials or to hand over a login session. And that that is impacting all lines of business. We are seeing it in retail, we're seeing it in commercial sectors uh, like energy and gas, and we're definitely seeing it inside the government spaces. The challenges have been that the solutions that we've had in the past have been hard to integrate into our business, but we have an opportunity to use the new and evolving technologies uh, and the standards that Ubico is working with as well as the implementations that all of your customers are implementing that lets us solve authentication, maybe passwordlessly, and get rid of those reliances on passwords. And if we can do that and we actually deploy passwordless phishing resistance authentication, we will by and large remove these whole attack surfaces that we face. You know, Derek, where you're talking about passwordless authentication as well as the phishing-resistant uh, stuff, I know the federal government is starting to advocate specifically for phishing-resistant MFA options, and I've also seen, I guess, the the increase in the new AITM, the type of attack vectors that take advantage of weak MFA structures. So what does it really mean? What type of authentication really fits the, if we say, phishing-resistant MFA standard? What does that really look like in your eyes? Well, if you go and look at the actual standards of that the government has put out there, it's primarily driven around the Executive Order 14028. Uh, that executive order was followed up by some guidance from OMB earlier this year. And that OMB guidance specifically says that phishing-resistant authentication methods that they're referring to are PIV and FIDO2. If you look at PIV, PIV is uh, the government's word for smart card or certificate-based authentication. For all of us that have 
dealt with managing Active Directory deployments. Certificates are the only actual authentication method supported natively in the product that meets the phishing-resistant bar. Uh, for those of us working with cloud IAM solutions, FIDO is the evolving multi-factor passwordless authentication solution that meets that phishing-resistant bar. The phishing-resistant bar has several major characteristics of it that are important for us to, to really look at and understand. One is it uses hardware to keep a private key so that you can deal with the challenge and response. That removes the phishing attacks that are most commonly used against symmetric secrets. The second is it's in band. And it has to be in band because if you take a push notification to a phone and it's an out-of-band communication, you can't actually prove that the authentication that you're trying to approve on your phone is the same one that you're trying to do on your on your computer. And it's really starting to get common that people are getting just notification fatigue from their MFA apps that just say, hey, you need MFA, you need MFA, and people start approving them because they actually think it's related to something they're doing, but in all reality, it's just an attack to try and push the users to just give in to the fact that if this is annoying, I just want to approve it and, and go on, yep. up, on with my day. So I think where we kind of got to is the phishing problem was so prevalent, the government stepped in for their services and said, thou shalt implement phishing-resistant MFA. And from our perspective, phishing-resistant MFA requires that external hardware key that matches the same bar that we have been dealing with with certificate and smart card solutions for years, that the person has a device that they use for authentication, and it's a trusted device that's simple and easy to use. That's, that is really our push here, because if we can address this phishing-resistant bar and we can address it for all users, things like PCI or other compliance frameworks that we have that have MFA callouts, you're going to far exceed what they have been looking for traditionally for MFA. And we get away from these segments of our network that are allowed for card data. And it really just all users everywhere have phishing-resistant MFA, whether they're signing into the time clock or they're signing in to access cardholder data. Getting rid of phishing is going to be a, a challenge for most organizations, but once you do it, you will find the benefits in radically improved security posture, as well as we truly believe improved usability. Uh, nobody wants to use a password, and so if we can go passwordless with the phishing-resistant MFA solutions that are out there with FIDO, with all of your cloud providers, we actually can improve what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Derek, that's really awesome. At least that kind of dovetails really nicely into the next question that I was hoping to ask. I guess for the meat and potatoes, not to say that the rest of the world doesn't matter, but we're here to actually focus about retail and hospitality verticals specifically. So do you have any insight on how, I guess, this type of authentication may change the experiences that folks have either as a customer, guest, or as an employee? Yeah, I think that's key, that last differentiation you gave there. So let's, let's start with employees first. We have multiple ways for employees to sign in to access the corporate services that they're using to provide that guest service. So maybe they're writing a point of sale terminal. Maybe they're at a registration desk. There's a variety of scenarios where they need to authenticate, and we need that authentication to be quick, easy to use, 
And we need that experience to call out to the customer that's being served, you matter. If the person serving you on the other side of the counter is pulling out a cell phone and looking at their cell phone, whether you want to think it or not, you're going to think that that cell phone and that phone call or text message that you think they're getting is more important than your experience as a customer. We think that, you know, that experience of deploying this for employees with FIDO into that computer authentication, into that web authentication flow, uh, will actually align very closely to experiences we already have. You know, a lot of point of sale terminals have that manager key that's sitting around somebody's wrist. And so the concept of having keys in the frontline work is actually very comfortable for most people that have, have been in those environments. When I was working at a large retailer, one of the places I went and watched was the, the membership and returns desk and watched how uh, they interacted with people. And ultimately, it's a well-orchestrated machine, and you want to make sure that the authentication process stays out of the way of serving the customers. And I believe with FIDO and the phishing-resistant MFA, we can actually deliver that. The other side of the value, so the question you asked, was what about the customer experience? What can we do to separate ourselves and our offerings to our customers by offering the security-conscious customer or the customer that's looking to not worry about passwords on my site? How do we make that experience better? Well, if you've had to deal with shared passwords in a family where you have multiple people trying to access your accounts or you've enabled MFA for uh, customers, you know that those MFA options and the shared passwords create a lot of challenges for you from a support perspective. There's probably a lot of people clicking on that forgot password button. And with passwordless and passwordless uh, MFA delivered with FIDO, YubiKeys can now be used by the customer to secure access to their account, make it seamless for them to access that account across all of their devices, and let them manage how they are sharing the keys to that account across their family units. And so when you look at delivering a better experience that reduces the friction from uh, delivering MFA and allows customers to trust your brand more with their data, uh, I think you're uh, seeing solutions with FIDO roll out in a way that will actually start to become brand differentiation. And if you're, you have any questions around this, I think that's it's a key area that Ubico has been investing in and helping both our enterprise customers as well as our customers that are bringing offerings to their consumers, where we've invested in services to help deliver those keys. But we've also built models for employees uh, where you're able to purchase the YubiKeys on a subscription basis. Uh, one of the challenges in retail and hospitality is that we all have a lot of transient workforces. We have massive hiring binges in the fall where we have to onboard people to get ready for the shopping season. And we need to be able to make sure that our authentication systems keep up with the rest of the business demands. And to that end, Ubico does offer solutions for both you know, subscription and OPEX uh, type scenarios that are key in delivering and executing on this vision for uh, organizations. Derek, so just uh, out there in the big world, when I think about IT, you know, historically, you think of security as being the folks that, that put their foot down and kind of say no or are normally the ones that are limiting somewhat as opposed to being viewed as like an enabler. How do you think passwordless authentication uh, methods 
may change that view. And do you think that we could possibly see an improvement in that that relationship or perception, whatever you want to call it, between the security components of an organization and the IT support components? If hopefully that question makes sense. Uh, that makes good sense because I, th- I think one of the things in my role when I was on the operational side of things that always hurt is I was I was constantly getting in the way of how people wanted to work and how the business wanted to get things done because of trying to balance the security needs of that organization. I do believe that passwordless MFA, true passwordless MFA, take a YubiKey, get them out to all your people, pair that with a modern cloud identity provider, and you're going to actually be able to deploy the zero trust solutions that you're looking for where authentication is not part of your concerns. We don't need adaptive authentication policy to access this data. And what that's going to unlock is it's going to let people work on any device, whether it's mobile or a desktop, whether they're at home, they're on the road, we're going to unlock use cases that the business has been looking for so that they can serve their customers better. And we will actually exceed our current security baselines, but deliver actual yeses on, yes, you can go do this, and here's how you do it securely. And I think that's where you are able to partner with the business to unlock those new use cases that they want by enabling their users to sign in securely anywhere at any time. All right, Derek, you ready for the really hard one? At least I've saved best for last. Okay, here we go. All right. So the, you know, the threat actors out there, they're pretty smart cookies and they're, they're also pretty quick to adjust, you know, as new things come out. So from kind of like a strategic sense, or if you had to look into your crystal ball and kind of go into the future, what do you see, I guess, the future of authentication actually looking like? And do you think that the bad guys will end up figuring out a way around even this new phishing resistant MFA style authentication? So let, let's go after that last part first. So phishing resistance MFA. It is called phishing resistance MFA, not phishing proof MFA, because we, we don't know that there is any future where we're proof, we're safe from any type of attacks. We don't know of any type of attacks that right now that can make it through the phishing resistance MFA as long as you are protecting the private keys that are associated with that authentication. And that's where Yubico believes so strongly that building the right authentication with the right solutions for protecting the secrets in that environment is that foundational component for an enterprise to build your customer and enterprise service offerings on. One of the things that we all look at is the cost of our projects and how we're trying to deploy um, authentication or other security metrics and the impact to those businesses. There are very few projects that can truly be kind of a, a one and done that set you up for the next generation of authentication. Deploying passwordless authentication and going wall to wall with all of your employees, all of your vendors, will actually set you up to meet and exceed any of the PCI DSS, GDPR, PSD2, authentication requirements that are out there. We're talking about authentication, but the reality of it is this is basically plumbing that every enterprise has to do. And we've gotten really used to that plumbing being reliant on a password. 
And so this is a generational change for all of our computer systems to move away from how we authenticate with a password. And some of us are going to have to look at how we do business. Can we deploy these passwordless solutions without business change, or are we going to need to find a way to make the technology adapt to our organization so that we can actually move faster? I think the most creative organizations are going to look at this technology and say, actually, instead of trying to adapt the technology to my business, can my business take an evolutionary leap forward in the services that we're offering because we don't have to rely on a bunch of Band-Aid fixes on top of the password? The root of all evils here is the password. That is why all of the authentication policies and everything else are just trying to set up a bar that's high enough that makes a password secure enough that we can all feel good about it. But if we can just replace the password with something secure, at the end of the day, we can stop worrying about the authentication policy requirements and start moving on to things that actually help our business move forward. So out of that, if there's things that you have questions about, you want to learn more about what Ubico's doing, we actually will be participating at the RHISAC Intelligence Summit in September. Uh, come look for us. Come hear about what we're doing and how we can work with you to help you adapt these technologies for your business. Derek, thank you so much for sharing the time today. It was awesome learning about phishing-resistant authentication. Can't wait to shake your hand at the summit. Sounds great. Look forward to meeting you all. Thank you to Bell and Derek and Paul for joining us on today's episode. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking with Troy Leach and Jim Reeves from the Cloud Security Alliance. In the meantime, stay safe out there.